Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you got a question for me, go to clark.com slash ask. Coming up later, I'm going to take a trip down memory lane going back one to two decades and sharing with you things that used to be big problems we'd hear about on our show that many don't even exist anymore and others that are oldie but baddies that have been problems as long as I've been on the air since the 1980s and still are today. I want to talk right now, though, about something that is a real intrusion on you. You download apps on your iPhone or your Android, and those apps become spies in your life. You know those permissions we have to give? Well, those permissions that we just by rote go, yes, 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 give app producers the ability to build dossiers on us and use that information to sell off to other people. And the level of detail that these apps collect is very valuable to marketeers, to various companies, and all the rest. So I want you to know that you can tell pretty easily whether an app on your iPhone or your Android is oversharing. And sometimes it'll make sense for you to share. For example, you're using a navigation program. You got to let it know where you are, right? But do you need to let everybody else know where you are for every other app you have on your phone? Nope. But it's standard that most of the apps you're having on your phone right now likely are sharing your location even when you're not using that app. I want you to take back control. Get some privacy back in your life. And so we have a guide for you at Clark.com that will walk you through how to see what apps on your phone are actually gathering about you and when and how you can change settings on your phone. Once you see how to do this, it's pretty easy app by app to change the settings and stop them from snooping so much on you. Again, there are practical reasons why, with a small number of the apps you have, it's valid for you to share location. Think about Uber or Lyft if you use those. They need to know where you are. But a lot of other things you use, like, for example, retailers or restaurants, you don't need to let them know your location. If they can't find you and you're using the app and they need to know, put in your zip code. And then they can still find where you are, close enough for horseshoes and apps. So know that automatically apps are going to ask for way too much from you. Don't give it to them. In fact, now, take it away. Peter's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Hi, I'm well, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You want to talk about one of these alternative TV streaming devices? That is correct. I started receiving emails about four months ago, and 
I'd say about every month I would get a repeat email from the same outfit, and each time I read a little more on it, and it sounds too good to be true. And like most people, they're trying to trim their packages they have with the monopoly or oligopoly-type services out there. And we're paying 165 a month right now for, I, I guess, a full cable package with all the premium channels. 165 a yes, month. Yes, sir. Yes, you heard that right. <laughs> yes. And 75 gig uh, internet service and then home phone, which I need for my business. So wait, the three in combination are 165? That is correct, Clark. Oh, yes. so you made it not as bad as it first sounded. <laughs> no, it's not as bad as it sounded. I mean, it's actually down probably about $20, $30 from what we were paying. But we don't get a lot of use out of the cable. You know, there's a couple hundred channels, and I think you've even mentioned this. You pare it down to about 10 or 12 that you actually watch. Right. And so... So these you know, people I, are promising that you get what for what? Okay, you pay a one-time, I think, eighty nine ninety nine fee for this box. And you live happily ever after, is the way they kind of describe it. That yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's the scoop. This is going to be a weird riddle. Ready? Okay, go. It may be true that they provide you that programming for free. Okay. But they're stealing it. And then you, okay. in turn, are receiving stolen programming. Okay. So this is similar to the black box thing that I think was there during the late 80s, early 90s. Except now they're doing it with full bore high def Mm -hmm. and getting you all kinds of programming that maybe you don't even have rights to, you're able to watch. So this has been something there are perhaps several million people in the United States Mm -hmm. that are using these boxes to steal programming. I see. And... It's different than, you remember, there was the highly publicized stuff where the music industry was going after individuals for a while that were stealing music? Yes, I remember that well. Nobody seems to be doing that about these pirate boxes. Yet. Which is, (laughs) yeah. So people are doing it. I've had, you know, when I've talked about it before, I've been so (laughs) negative about the pirate boxes and I'll have people come up that are just so insulted by that, and they're mad at me, and why would I be trying to help out the cable company? And I'm like, you know, it's not about helping out the cable company. It's about that getting the content for free just isn't right. Correct. So I would just keep deleting the emails you're receiving, but that's your choice. I understand. There's risk involved. (laughs) Well, I'm not even sure there's that much risk. You know, it's the kind of thing that very small number of people mm-hmm. will ever be prosecuted. But it's right. just, it's ill-gotten gains, you know, to You're steal right. that programming. Yeah. And something else you can do mm-hmm. is if you will be disloyal to who you're with now, you mentioned the oligopoly, you know, there's very yeah. few choices. Mm-hmm. Because people are getting rid of their pay TV subscriptions and going to streaming, Mm -hmm. You know, they're cutting the cord or dialing back on it. Right. It's become far more competitive, even in a not very competitive industry, that if you put people into competition with each other, Mm -hmm. you may be able to lower your cost a lot 
and legitimately have pay TV. That makes perfect sense. In our house, we use Sling.com. Yes, that's one of the six that I read briefly up on, yes. And I've been happy with that. Okay. Hulu Live is getting extremely positive reviews. Okay. So it's Hulu Live, YouTube TV. Very good. And there will be continuous refinement and improvement in this area. Okay. And the costs are so much cheaper than a traditional cable or satellite package. The big problem is if you're in a data cap with whoever provides you your internet, you're going to blow through that data cap pretty quickly if you get all your TV from stream. Brian is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brian. Hey, how are you? Great, thank you, Brian. You are a fellow landlord, are you not? I am, yes. Yes, I am. And are you a a newbie in it, or have you been doing it for a while? So I have one rental property, and uh, I had just gotten into a second one and started looking at the insurance a little closer and comparing quotes and just started having questions. The first time around, I was you know, a little more reckless, I suppose, and now I'm a little more concerned. So that's kind of where I am and had a question for you today. I'm ready. All right. So I have two quotes, one's for actual cash value and one is for replacement costs. And I kind of sent the quotes to the comp- each competitor to see, you know, what the difference was and if they could beat the price. And they both wrote back with a kind of lengthy explanations as to why their insurance is better than the others for the current rate. <laughs> so really, yeah, so I was kind of like, okay, great. Uh, no price reduction, but what's the better insurance? And I am still kind of actively talking to them, but... Uh, I haven't found the right answer yet. So. Right. Replacement value coverage, I have a big bias for. Okay. And Why the is reason that? is is that when you look to rebuild something, the cost of rebuilding will be higher than the market value of that property. You know, when okay. a home when a home is built, usually particularly if it's in a production built community where you know, they're doing active building in an area, the cost per square foot of that build is far, far lower than a rebuild or even building an individual home. And let's take new construction versus an existing property, which your rentals are existing properties. Construction costs are so much higher per foot than the market value of that property as it sits today that making sure you have coverage that will rebuild it at the prevailing cost to rebuild keeps you from being terribly exposed in the event of a catastrophic loss to the property. Right. Okay. So, so when I, when I get a quote for replacement cost, a hundred percent replacement cost, it's okay that it's higher than the actual cash value cost. I mean, You're getting more for your money, essentially? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if somebody insures you for only the value, they say, oh, that home would sell for, give me a figure. $90,000. That home would sell for $90,000. So we're going to insure you for $90,000. But the reality is, if you have a significant loss or full loss on that home, and you go to rebuild it, you're never going to be able to rebuild it for ninety. Exactly. Exactly. So that's yeah, why a policy that covers your rebuild cost is key to you being properly insured. 
Uh, that's terrific. Well, thank you so much for the clarification. It's a little bit of a weight off my shoulders talking to you about it. Thank One you. other thing is I want you to make sure you have plenty of liability coverage. Do you have a number for that? For injuries, I have $300,000, I think, as a liability. Is that uh, not enough? Or? That may not be enough because here you are. This is a success tax. You now have two rental properties. Assume you have your own home. You probably have yep. other assets. You want to make sure that if there's a serious issue that happens at one of your rental properties, somebody gets hurt there or whatever, that they don't sue you into poverty. Very good. And so look at something known as an umbrella insurance policy that sits above the liability coverage you have in your life. They're relatively cheap policies to buy, and it provides you that kind of coverage in the event that there is an unlikely but what could be very expensive event happening in your life, not necessarily just at one of those two rental properties. Joanne joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Joanne. How can I be of service to you today? Okay, well, I was wanting to ask a question about the 529 plan versus a Roth IRA. We have a son who... Um, hopefully is going off to college at the end of the school year. But we also, we are raising our grandson, and I'm open to 529 plans for him, and we contribute to it monthly through our credit union. And I was wondering, since we will be close to retirement age when he goes off to college, if it would be better to put the money into a Roth IRA as opposed to a 529 in case he decides that he doesn't want to go to college (laughs) yes i much prefer you funding your own roth ira and you know you along with millions of other americans right now are raising grandchildren and it's causing a cash squeeze on people Mm -hmm. and you know you can't figure out what should i be doing do i need to be putting this money aside for my own retirement Uh, what do i do about our grandson's college, grandchild's college. And so what I recommend is that you go the Roth route and that that's where your emphasis should be. And your grandson has a lot of different options how to acquire that education. You know, community college is so affordable, and in many states now, community colleges are issuing four-year degrees, bachelor's degrees. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Um, so is there any, like once we reach that age, um, is there any like limits to how much money you can pull out at one time in a Roth IRA? No. See, that's the beauty with a Roth is that you, once you're at retirement eligible age, you can pull out as much as you wish and there's no consequence at all tax-wise. I mean, you can, and I talk about this frequently, use Roth money to help a child, in your case, grandchild, pay for college. But I wouldn't want you to treat that as a high priority because I need for you to make sure you have sufficient funding for your own retirement. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's always important. (laughs) Right, because there are no scholarships in retirement. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. That's a shame, isn't it? (laughs) It is, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Is to, since we have this 529 plan for him. Can we just notify the plan and just tell them that we want to close it out and they will send us? No, you don't. Okay, so the plan you have 
you probably want to leave the money that's in there in there. Oh, okay. And going forward, because you don't want to trigger a taxable event by mm-hmm. pulling money out of the 529 now. But okay. Money you would put aside forward, I would do Roth IRA. Oh, okay, perfect. Thank you and, so much. And if you're over age 50, uh, you each are allowed to put 6500 into a Roth IRA. Yeah, that's great. It's a ceiling. Okay, thanks so much for all your advice. All right, best to you. Uh-huh, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Is humbling when someone comes up to me who's in his or her um, early middle age and they say, I used to listen to you when I was his age or her age. They got their kids in tow. And I realize I've been doing this a long, long time since the mid-1980s. And so over uh, one and a half generations, I've been answering your questions related to your wallet. Producer Kim our executive producer, recently went through, this is going to sound funny to you, but we used to keep notes, handwritten notes in a book of what topics we were dealing with on the show, what advice I was giving on major topics, and had quite a trip down memory lane looking through and was looking at the things that came up as questions from listeners, which we tracked. Uh, manually every question someone called in with and what were big things that people called about that they never call about anymore or the company they were calling about doesn't even exist anymore. Number one is the most common question that Kim saw in the book was people calling to complain about junk fees from Blockbuster. Think about that. If you're younger, you're like, block what? But it used to be in prehistoric times, you would go to a store called Blockbuster and you would rent a movie from them. First on video cassette, later on DVD. You may not know what a video cassette is. But anyway, it was you'd rent the movie and you'd bring it home and you'd never return it on time. And so Blockbuster would hit you with massive fees. But the complaints I'd get would be when you drop the Blockbuster movie off in the night box and they wouldn't credit it in for three or four days just so they could charge you late fees. Or they would never clock it in and charge you the full cost of the movie. And it was a constant refrain. Blockbuster's extinction was one of those times that you dance on a company's grave because those people were miserably terrible people, but they're gone. Now, let me tell you some of the other things. Stealing long distance. We don't even have a concept of paying for long distance, right? But long distance used to be precious and very expensive, and I'd get so many calls from people where criminals had stolen their home phone signal, often through something called an RJ-11 which I assume RJ-11 still exists. But anyway, they were an unsecure thing on the side of people's houses or businesses. People would tap into them and steal your dial tone and steal long distance. And cell phone cloning. Back before the cell phone industry went to 
more modern technology, there were these black boxes, and I demonstrated them as a TV reporter, where criminals would uh, stop on freeway overpasses, and as people drove underneath, they would steal people's cell phone signals, and then within minutes, clone their signal to a cell phone they had and make all the calls they wanted billing to you. Because, by the way, on cell phones, you used to pay for every minute you were on them, even for a local call, usually about 35 cents a minute. Isn't it weird how things change so much? That's one generation. And the phoner toner, when people would call and scam you into buying toner for a fax machine and send you this lousy toner for a zillion dollars and stick you with the bill, which then brings us to the other thing, a fax machine. Maybe you don't know what that is. Well, anyway, fax machines were very common, and we would get calls continuously from people who received a fax that was a come on with scams, and people would respond to them and lose all kinds of money in uh, fax travel scams or business opportunity scams or you name it, they would get ripped off from the fax machine. Everybody had one uh, a generation ago. And I tried to explain to my 19-year-old what a fax machine was back in the summer, and I just gave up. I could not get the concept through to her. 19, and she wasn't cognizant of what one was. Well, that's a big word for me, cognizant. And in 1999, way back in 1999, there's a song that says that, right? Anyway, Y2K. It was about how planes were going to fall out of the sky. Every computer in the world would stop working. Nobody would be able to get money anywhere. People used to go to these things called ATMs, and there was great panic across the world that every ATM in the world would shut down at uh, Greenwich Mean Time, New Year's, January 1st, 2000. I was flying um, on that evening and I had a list of 24 radio affiliates that I was talking to. They used to have uh, phones, air-to-ground phones on airplanes. And I was calling one station after another because everybody was doing wall-to-wall coverage of Y2K with midnight coming. And I was saying, yeah, I'm still alive. Plane hadn't fallen out of the sky. And I was doing, I mean, all around the country, moving across time zones, doing these calls. I was taking one flight, then another, then another. And I never crashed. And no plane actually did because of Y2K. You get the idea, though. And give you another one that is so funny. Penny Record Clubs. This was horrible thing that people got ripped off all the time. There were these uh, record clubs you could join. They'd say, get 12 record albums. You know what a record is? It was this thing that went on this thing called a turntable and you had a needle that went on and it spun around it played music if you're not familiar anyway i can't believe i'm having to explain things like that anyway so people would get 12 records for a penny and then they'd be obligated to buy all these additional records for a zillion dollars and it was a terrible ripoff and there was no way to get out of it and then it would automatically renew and on and on. That was a constant source of calls. And Bakewood Siding, the 
one of the two biggest crises in housing a generation ago was a lot of um, companies came up with this brilliant idea to take wood garbage, you know, leftover from processing mills, lumber mills, and glue it together and put a fake exterior on it that made it look like it was real wood and slap it on the side of houses. And they were all shocked when it deteriorated and ruined people's houses by the millions around the country. The other thing was something called polybutylene pipe that ruined the budgets and the houses of I don't know how many millions American, million of Americans. It was a defective pipe that was being put in houses because it was cheap and easy to install, but it didn't work. And then it would bring swimming pools inside people's houses, but they weren't houses. They were designed for inside pools. So those are just some of the things that we don't have to deal with anymore. But I want to hit you quickly with a list of things that have never stopped going all the way back to the mid-80s till today. Timeshares. And if you have children around, I'm going to cuss right now. You may want to cover their ears. Annuities. That's right. That's a cuss word on our show. Diet pills. Ultra-long car loans. Fake charities. Parking lot scams. Pyramid schemes. And fly-by-night stock promoters. So some things through the decades stay the same. A lot of others are gone with the wind and good riddance to Blockbuster. (laughs) Andy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Andy. Hi, Clark. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. So question for you. My wife is looking at a vehicle that uh, does not have a really good reliability rating, but she's kind of set her heart on it. And it's going to be used. We're looking at either getting a certified to ensure that it has protection for a long time, or I know you're not a fan of extended warranties, but one of the insurance companies that you happen to like offers extended warranties. And I wanted to know your thoughts on that. You know, you're killing me like four times over here. You're just killing me, Andy. Happy wife, happy life. Right, right. Oh, there's no other vehicle that she likes. You know, most people have a funnel and they'll have like two or three brands that meet their acceptability standard. We've been uh, we've been going to car shows and looking at different vehicles. And, and this is the one. Out ones left and right. We've got a large chunk of money to put down, but she's kind of narrowed her sights on this one particular vehicle. Okay. <laughs> if she yeah. wants to do that, then I would say the, the key step with a vehicle that you narrow your search on is that you have it inspected by one of those, is it a European or Japanese brand she's looking at? It's European. All right. So there are specialty shops in every midsize and large market in the country that work on specific European brands or a small number of European brands. And those specialty mechanics would be great for you to pay one of them to check out the vehicle before you buy it. Okay. And that's the best insurance policy you can have because even with a vehicle that tends to be less reliable overall, 
there's differences from unit to unit of production. And if you have it checked out, you could really find that you could avoid a problem. Uh, Krista, who's one of the producers on our show, was interested in a European car years ago, and it didn't have a good uh, record of repair history. And she kept having them inspected. She'd find these used ones and have them inspected. The first three horribly failed inspection. And so she had to pay $125 each time to have them inspected. She was out $375. The fourth one did great in the inspection, and then she bought it, turned out fine all the way through. She spent $500 to have four vehicles inspected, but avoided a world of trouble. Now, the courier question my philosophy has always been to buy an extended warranty if you buy one only from the manufacturer of the brand you're looking at. You bring up such an, such an unusual exception with your insurer if it's actually their warranty and not one they're just marketing. I think you could do that one. That would be a one-time exception. Matt's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matt. Hey, Clark, how are you? Great, thank you, Matt. You get to go to Barcelona. I do, I do. I uh, first want to say, I told Kim your show, you're like my spirit father, right? So uh, <laughs> we have so much in common, I believe. Wow. Are you left-handed? I am. I am, too. And your birthday, now you can cut this off the show, but isn't your birthday June 20th? It is. Mine is, too. Isn't your mother's maiden name? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody can see... When my birthday is on Wikipedia or whatever, so I don't keep it a secret that my birthday is June 20. Well, mine is really too. So, 1982, though. And, uh, and I'm just innately cheap. I've always been really cheap, and I pride myself in that. That's great. Matter, well, matter of fact, I bought a trip to, uh, when I saw in Clarkfield to uh, Barcelona, and I bought that one because it was uh, $70 cheaper than Rome total. So I was like, no, i got to go to Barcelona. I'll wait $70. <laughs> That's funny. I'm there for seven days. You know, got a long layover, so really you, you arrive Monday. And I, I don't know much about I'm trying to do some research until we go. But uh, should I stay in Barcelona? Should I travel the countryside a little bit? Should I do the fast train? That's kind of ultimately my question. The, fast train, the fast train in Spain is really the only smart way if you're going to go other places. Now, I always offend people who are from Madrid, but... I wouldn't waste a minute in Madrid except if you have to change a train there. Uh-huh. I love Toledo. I love Sevilla. We call it Seville. The Costa del Sol is magnificent. I mean, there's so much to, to see, but with seven days, you may find that you're happy just staying in Barcelona and its environs. Okay, so just that whole Catalan region then, just stay right there, or even specifically Barcelona, or that's just... Yeah, I'd say, I'd say in the immediate vicinity, you'll have more than enough to do. Okay, great. And, well, and if you do get the desire to go wander, gosh, it's really everything you do, if you've never been to Spain, everything you do, you'll enjoy. Okay, Because it's correct. new and different, but of the destinations that are hot, 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 in the world, Barcelona is so in because people love going there. Well, I'm excited. Now, you were saying the Costa del Sol, is that further down south? Yeah. Or? Yeah, the, the Costa del Sol is to the southwest from Barcelona. Okay. 
There are beautiful beach areas. Although I'll tell you, even though it's different kind of topography, I don't think they beat the quality of the beaches that we have in Florida. Oh, really? Yeah, so I know that's going to upset <laughs> other Spaniards. I'm just throwing myself right in it. But I can tell you the trip will be outstanding. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel asks it for you. Who's up first, Joel? Thomas is up first, Clark. He says, in some of your videos online, I see that you're wearing what appears to be two watches. What's the deal with that? Well, because I probably do have truly OCD. So one of them is a smartwatch that ties in with my phone. And also when I run, it has its own SIM card and I can use it to stay in touch and as a phone. And then the other is the Garmin Vivo Active HR, which is for people who do a variety of different athletic activities, it tracks them all. And today my step goal is 15,548. I've not missed my step goal in 47 straight days. That's impressive. That is pretty obsessive. All right, Russell wrote, and he says, Clark, I'm a longtime listener. Are you still recommending that we should use a Chromebook for online banking accounts? I recall you saying that you should only use one computer for all important financial matters. Yeah, and that would be a Chromebook because they are not likely to get viruses, and they're extremely inexpensive. So you can buy a Chromebook and use it just as a utility player, limited player, where they're used just for bill pay, just for banking, just for brokerage, no email, no web surfing, nothing like that, so that you segregate your financial life onto this separate machine, reducing the chances that someone will be able to take over your accounts. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.